the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 1. These are the words Moses spoke to all Israel across the Jordan in the wilderness, in the Arabah opposite Suf, between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dishahab. It is an 11-day journey from Horeb to Kadesh Barnea by way of Mount Seir. In the 40th year, in the 11th month, on the first of the month, Moses told the Israelites everything the Lord had commanded him to say to them. This was after he had defeated King Zion of the Amorites, who lived in Hashbon, and King Og of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth at Adrei. Across the Jordan in the land of Moab, Moses began to explain this law, saying, The Lord our God spoke to us at Horeb. You have stayed at this mountain long enough. Resume your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and their neighbors in the Arabah, the hill country, the Judean foothills, the Negev and the sea coast, to the land of the Canaanites and to Lebanon, as far as the great river, the Euphrates River. See, I have set the land before you. Enter and take possession of the land the Lord swore to give to your ancestors Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and their future descendants. I said to you at the time, I can't bear the responsibility for you on my own. The Lord your God has so multiplied you that today you are as numerous as the stars of the sky. May the Lord, the God of your ancestors, increase you a thousand times more and bless you as he promised you. But how can I bear your troubles, burdens, and disputes by myself? Appoint for yourselves wise, understanding, and respected men from each of your tribes, and I will make them your leaders. You replied to me, what you propose to do is good. So I took the leaders of your tribes, wise and respected men, and set them over you as leaders, commanders for thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and officers for your tribes. I commanded your judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers, and judge rightly between a man and his brother for his resident alien. Do not show partiality when deciding a case. Listen to small and great alike. Do not be intimidated by anyone, for judgment belongs to God. Bring any case too difficult for you, and I will hear it. At that time, I commanded you about all the things you were to do. We then set out from Horeb and went across all the great and terrible wilderness you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, just as the Lord our God had commanded us. When we reached Kadesh Barnea, I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up and take possession of it, as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, has told you. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Then all of you approached me and said, Let's send the men ahead of us so that they may explore the land for us and bring us back a report about the route we should go up and the cities we will come to. The plan seemed good to me, so I selected 12 men from among you, one man for each tribe. They left and went up into the hill country and came to Ashko Valley, scouting the land. They took some of the fruit from the land in their hands, carried it down to us, and brought us back a report. The land the Lord our God is giving us is good, but you were not willing to go up. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, 
The Lord brought us out of the land of Egypt to hand us over to the Amorites in order to destroy us, because he hates us. Where can we go? Our brothers have made us lose heart, saying, The people are larger and taller than we are. The cities are large, fortified to the heavens. We have also saw the descendants of the Anakim there. So I said to you, don't be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will fight for you, just as you saw him do for you in Egypt. And you saw in the wilderness how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all along the way you traveled until you reached this place. But in spite of this, you did not trust the Lord your God, who went before you on the journey to seek out a place for you to camp. He went in the fire by night and in the cloud by day to guide you on the road you were to travel. When the Lord heard your words, he grew angry and swore an oath. None of these men in this evil generation will see the good land I swore to give your ancestors, except Caleb, the son of Juvenal. He will see it, and I will give him and his descendants the land on which he has set foot, because he remained loyal to the Lord. The Lord was angry with me also because of you, and said, you will not enter there either. Joshua, son of Nun, who attends you, will enter it. Encourage him, for he will enable Israel to inherit it. Your children, who you said would be plunder, your sons, who don't yet know good from evil, will enter there. I will give them the land, and they will take possession of it. But you are to turn back and head for the wilderness by way of the Red Sea. You answered me, we have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight just as the Lord our God commanded us. Then each of you put on his weapons of war and thought it would be easy to go up into the hill country. But the Lord said to me, tell them, don't go up and fight, for I am not with you to keep you from being defeated by your enemies. So I spoke to you, but you didn't listen. You rebelled against the Lord's command and defiantly went up into the hill country. Then the Amorites who lived there came out against you and chased you like a swarm of bees. They routed you from Seir as far as Homer. When you returned, you wept before the Lord, but he didn't listen to your request or pay attention to you. For this reason, you stayed in Kadesh as long as you did. Well, that's quite the cinematic introduction to a, uh, what should be an epic uh, series on Deuteronomy. Uh, I like it, Carl. It's a, it is a, quite a summary of, uh, of the Old Testament, of course, the Old Testament to that point. Um, although Moses will speak about, prophetically, about what will happen uh, as he predicts and as he leads God's, uh, God's Word among his people. But it is great to have you here this morning. My name is Mike, lead pastor here at Tungabi Anglican Church. And if you are new in the building or watching online, uh, it's great to have you with us as we start here in God's Word together. Um, uh, I love, I love that moment when you've got that car packed, Tetris style, with all the kind of holiday goodies, uh, and that's quite a piece of work, you know, like you see back and you go, yeah, that's, that's good, and you get back, you, you can't, you get in the car, you can't see through the rearview mirror, the kids are like this, but whatever, like, you know, you've got the open road ahead of you, you've got some good tunes, you can't wait to put on those good tunes, hit that open road. You know what happens next, right? Two minutes after we've left. How long will it be? 
oh, I don't know, three hours? Like, just enjoy it. Let's have some fun. We're on holidays now. I therefore replace my fun tunes with kids' songs on repeat. <laughs> 30 minutes later, are we there yet? I don't love that feeling. <laughs> Taking kids on journeys is often a masterclass in patience and perseverance, and God would see it that I still need to have that masterclass again and again. Welcome to this new series on Deuteronomy, which I guess is masterclass on steroids for patience. God's patience, Moses' patience, Israel's patience, and we'll see how that unfolds. Uh, Deuteronomy is uh, the kind of climax of, of what is known as the Torah, uh, that's Hebrew, uh, referring to the law, the first five books of the Old Testament, or Pentateuch, uh, you might have heard of that word, that's Greek, means five, uh, it's the fifth in that series of books of law. Deuteronomy itself means second law, uh, and, and it's that moment where Moses stands before his people, like you see in this picture behind us, uh, a pleading with his people as, as he kind of unpacks the law again, that they might listen to it, that they might take heed God's Word and wisdom and obey. Uh, Deuteronomy is a long sermon. It's actually a series of, of sort of sermons, actually. Uh, and, you know, uh, Lily did a great job reading. In fact, I, I want us to kind of, actually, you know, as we look through Deuteronomy, there'll be times, a bit like Mark's Gospel, where we're going to have long readings. I want us to sit in that, actually. Um, but, you know, imagine what it'd be like to sit in the desert listening to the whole thing. So, don't whinge. And no grumbling, right? That's a... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> um, that the problem that you might have noticed in this passage is that uh, Moses makes reference to the 11-day journey from Horeb, Mount Sinai, to Kadesh Barnea, just before the Promised Land. Uh, that was an 11-day journey, and, and the next moment of the story could have been, and they entered the Promised Land. But as we read, that didn't happen. What happened instead was, 40 years later, Moses makes reference to, 40 years an 11-day journey would be a long journey. I can't do three hours in my car, right? Uh, 11 days are still long. 40 years. <laughs> Moses is at pains through Deuteronomy to ensure they remember history, lest they repeat it. And he pleads for them to remain devoted to the God who is devoted to them. It would help if I have my clicker on. Uh, that's what you're going to hear a lot about in this series, uh, to remain devoted to the God who is devoted to His people. Uh, but to maybe flesh that out even a bit more, it's kind of like this, God is determined to create a people, He's determined to create a people devoted to Himself, as the God who is totally devoted to them, in love and faithfulness, for His glory and their blessing. It's a beautiful picture He holds out as He devotes Himself to them. But if they rebel against Him, what is that going to look like? That's what we see unfold in Deuteronomy. Now, just as a way of introduction, uh, we are Christians reading this. Uh, this is the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. Uh, and so, there's a few things that I just want to help us think through as we dig into the beginning of Deuteronomy 1, which is itself in a, an introduction. Uh, the first thing to notice is that uh, Deuteronomy is, is God's Word. It's a revelation of who God is. And so, the centerpiece of Deuteronomy, and perhaps even the Old Testament completely, is the Shema, uh, which is uh, Hebrew for listen. Hear, O God, a hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. That is a profound statement of God's oneness. In a culture and world where there were many gods, here is Israel's God saying, 
I am one, listen. And so too should we, as God's people. Uh, Secondly, Deuteronomy describes uh, how to live, not not how to be saved. I see I got the order around there, that's right, whatever. Uh, The beginning of 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 the repetition of the Ten Commandments is the fact that God, out of His grace, brought them up out of Egypt. He saved them and therefore, this is how you should live. It starts with God's grace, and then it speaks to God's wisdom and law as to how to live in response to that. Uh, now, all of this is historical. This is God's ancient people, Israel, that He's talking to. And so, it does have a particular context. The way we read it is actually through Christ, which I'll come back to in a second. But it's first and foremost, this is Moses speaking in the desert to God's ancient people, Israel. And as a result, it's under the Old Covenant, Uh, Covenant is like a fancy biblical word for uh, a treaty or or kind of even a promise, like a marriage, a partnership. And Deuteronomy itself is kind of structured like a treaty, like a covenant, where it has like a preamble, which is what we're reading right now. Then it has a bunch of laws, like the conditions of, of, of the covenant, and at the end, blessings and curses. That is, what will happen if you obey or disobey the covenant? Ultimately, for us as Christians, this all points to Jesus, who who brings in for us the new covenant, who succeeds where Moses fails, who succeeds where we fail, who is the personification and the embodiment of God's devotion to us. Uh, In the middle of Deuteronomy uh, Deuteronomy 18, uh, it says this, the Lord your God will raise up for you, this is Moses speaking, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. In John chapter 6, one of the Gospels, Jesus says, the people say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus is the perfect prophet that Moses pointed towards. And so, we read Deuteronomy through Jesus. Hello. <laughs> and so, let us, let us look at how Moses sets up this last sermon to them and imagine what you would say. Imagine if you had just wandered 40 years in the desert with the people who were grumbling, uh, who disobeyed God, who weren't listening to your leadership a lot of the time. Uh, and, and you had with that people kind of suffered greatly through that wandering, knowing with great frustration you could have already been in the promised land. What would you say? Well, we get to listen to what Moses says because he's going to say a lot more than simply, in fact, he doesn't say it all, hey, we made it, let's party. <laughs> nor has this been a walk in the park for anyone. Let us hear what he has to say as we open this. And so, let's begin with uh, the first chapter of Deuteronomy, which is largely, as you uh, saw as Lily read this, uh, a kind of an outline of the historical journey thus far. It was George Santayana, uh, the uh, 20th century philosopher, who said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Uh, That's picked up by Winston Churchill and a bunch of other people. It makes a lot of sense. If we don't pay attention to history, we think we're so much better, right? But we fall into the same traps. And so, we should learn from the past, from our own history, from our own stories, but also from the stories of others, lest we are condemned to repeat it. And so, Moses is at pains, let's not repeat that 40 years. Oh my goodness, that was crazy. Don't do that again. and uh, this, is, this is a map of kind of their journey, uh, strain your eyes a little bit, I've got a zoomed in version in a second, but uh, you can see that, you know, uh, Israel's journey began, uh, sorry, yeah, in Egypt, where, you know, that's the Exodus, they were under the kind of the, the heavy hand of Pharaoh, and they cried out to God, 
uh, that He would save them. And He raised up Moses, uh, who was really not very confident in himself, uh, but nonetheless, God worked through him, uh, and He led them out of Egypt, across the Red Sea, in that, in that crazy miracle of God's power and strength, and the way He redeemed His people with an outstretched arm, uh, and led them across uh, the desert to Mount Sinai. What happened at Mount Sinai? Ten Commandments, yes. Uh, well, did that go well? No. Oh my goodness, like this, this story is littered with both God's grace and His power, and, and just people. Uh, and so, you know, as Moses comes down from Mount Sinai with two, two tablets going, hey guys, just spoke to God, can't wait to... T- what are you doing? <laughs> they, they'd built a golden cow and they were worshipping it, saying, this is the one that brought us out of Egypt. Are you kidding? God was pretty upset with that moment. Moses was pretty upset. He smashed the tablets, uh, you know, God remade them for him. And, and, but nonetheless, it was uh, the beginning of a very painful season. Uh, not only did God kind of still work with them at that point, but He gave them a chance to actually, as you go, go from Mount Sinai, and you'll notice that in, in the beginning of Deuteronomy, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't actually major on the Ten Commandments, or, or kind of even the cow scene. I mean, Moses could have brought that up, definitely, uh, but it's actually majoring on the, that they left Horeb, or Mount Sinai, and it's all kind of centred around that they really could have entered the Promised Land, uh, that, that actually they came to uh, Kadesh Barnea, which is only 11 days' walk, and uh, as we read uh, down here, so um, God, God gave them the co- commandments, and then look, look, actually look how sort of Moses sort of puts in this little story about leaders for the tribes in verse 9 onwards. That's Moses actually saying that as I received the law, and as I practiced the wisdom as part of that, I tried to raise up leaders uh, so that we could together experience the wisdom of God and do things well, where they were all set up for success. And then verse 19, after, after making that statement, Moses says, then we left from, uh, set up from Horeb and went across all that great and terrible wilderness. Just reminding them, it was terrible and hard. Uh, you saw on the way to the hill country, uh, the Amorites, just as the Lord our God had commanded us. When we reached Kadesh Barnea, I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. This is kind of the moment that they've been waiting for for so long, to enter the promised land. God didn't just bring them out of Egypt, He was bringing them into a land of milk and honey and peace and joy, and it was a gift to them. All they had to do was listen to God and obey Him. Uh, People came to Moses saying, why don't we send out a few people and scope out the land and get a sense of what's happening? Moses, in his wisdom, said, actually, that sounds pretty good, let's do that. The problem with that, of course, is they came back freaked out of their mind. Uh, They were not willing to go up that they rebelled against the command of the Lord our God, and they grumbled. That is a word you were going to see a lot in Deuteronomy. Fear and grumbling, frustration bubbling up. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord brought us out of the land of Egypt to hand us over to the Amorites in order to destroy us. What a statement against God. Here He is, sort of bringing them all the way to this point, having kind of done great things that they have witnessed, having crossed the Red Sea, having been fed, uh, you know, by, by you know, manna from heaven. Uh, God had led them through the desert as a, as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And they say, after all of that, that's too scary. Uh, God's actually brought us out here to die. So I said to you, Moses said, 
Don't be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will fight for you, just as you saw Him do for you in Egypt. He's reminding them of history. I know you're scared. He's a pastoral leader. I know you're worried, but look at what God has done for us time and time again, even reminding them of the fire by night and cloud by day. When the Lord heard your words, He grew angry and swore an oath, none of these men in this evil generation will see the good land I swore to give your fathers, except Caleb, the son of uh, Jephunneh. He will see it, and I will give him and his descendants the land on which he has set foot, because he remained loyal to the Lord. The Lord was angry with me, Moses said, because of you, and said, you will not enter there either. Now, God's grace has been abundant. God's devotion to them has been so clearly evident. And yet, as they continue to rebel again and again, and even now in this final moment where they could have entered the promised land and say, not too scary, God's actually going to lead us to death, God says, well, so be it. I, 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 won't, I won't bring you into that promised land if you're not going to trust me. And that led to 40 years of wandering in the desert. What a start. <laughs> what a mess. And look at how this chapter ends. When you returned, having, you know, actually, I skipped over the bit where they just said, oh, fine, we'll just go fight them anyway. And that doesn't work out very well, does it? And as they come back, they kind of realize what they've done. When you returned, Moses said, you wept before the Lord, but he didn't listen to your requests or didn't pay attention. For this reason, you stayed in Kadesh as long as you did. Could you imagine crying out before the Lord and feeling like you're abandoned? Some of us feel like that at points. But, but God, in His discipline and even judgment here, is saying, kind of saying, I told you. You now have to sit in the consequences of your actions. But God does not abandon them. And that is so clear through Deuteronomy. The very fact that Moses is preaching to them now is a sign that God has delivered them through those 40 years and in His grace, giving them another opportunity and now Moses is pleading, would you be devoted to the God who is devoted to you? Let's just drill into this a little bit more, right? <laughs> Failure, no one likes to see that word on the screen, that word on their performance review, <laughs> on their assessments and yet Moses wants them God wants us to actually stare in the face, what is the problem, so that we might learn from it. Uh, verse 34, uh, I've already read this, but I'll read it again. Uh, when the Lord heard your words, He grew angry and swore an oath, none of these men in this evil generation will see the good land I swore to give you uh, and your ancestors. Israel so often is fearful so you're going to see kind of fear come up lots of times in Deuteronomy, both in the sense that they were afraid, but also through Moses and God's Word, do not be afraid. Uh, now, just, just like kind of when you're feeling anxious and someone says to you, don't be anxious, it, kind of, it doesn't quite work like that, does it? When you're feeling worried or fearful and someone says, do not be fearful, you need a very good reason to go, okay. <laughs> um, and so we're going to see in this that reason, but you've actually got to do kind of the connection work here. I came across this um, uh, insight from uh, Ed Welch, who wrote a book called uh, When People Are Big and God Is Small. 
What a great title of a book. He says, fear of man is always part of a triad that includes unbelief and disobedience. The fear of man is always part of a triad that includes unbelief and disobedience. And the fear of the Israelites, especially in the moment when they peer over into the promised land and say, nope, (laughs) no way, they're too scary. In that moment, they are big and God is small. They are not fearful of God in the sense of holding Him in awe. They are not honouring Him as they are called to. They don't believe God really has it in Him to bring them through one more time. And they don't obey Him. Do you see how those three things interact? The fear of man, unbelief and disobedience. Time and time again, Israel will play this out. How long will God remain gracious and patient with them? But Moses cannot escape this either. Moses is an incredible leader. He's the one that God revealed Himself to. I am, He said to Moses. Uh, He spoke with with Moses and when, when kind of Moses just caught a glimpse of His glory, His face shone with such radiance that they had to cover His face because it was freaking everyone out, right? But also he says in verse 37, the Lord was angry with me also because of you. Well, that's not entirely true, Moses. Um, and said, you will not enter there either. Uh, Moses is definitely bound up in the predicament of Israel, but he's got his own stuff going on. Uh, in, uh, in Numbers 20, just uh, a couple of chapters prior to Numbers just before Deuteronomy, there's this moment, and it's a really, really small moment, but it just gives you a window in kind of to Moses' heart to just show us that he's actually just like one of us, really. Um, uh, God had spoken to Moses uh, uh, as a result of the people grumbling, uh, you know, if, if you know, the people are saying, God, let us out here to perish in the desert. Oh my goodness, they, they constantly complain. I don't know how Moses put up with them, to be honest. And so Moses comes before God and says, what am I going to do with these people? And God says, take the staff and assemble the community. You and your brother Aaron, you are to speak to the rock while they watch and it will yield its water. You will bring out water for them from the rock and provide drink for the community and their livestock. So God in His grace provides provision, just as He did in manna from heaven. In fact, just as He had done in Exodus 17, a very similar moment where they were whinging, God said, actually take your staff and, and, and kind of smack the rock and the rock will come out with water. So, they've already seen God do this. But in this particular case, Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as He had commanded him, so he's obedient. Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock, obedient, and Moses said to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock for you? You can hear the frustration, right? Then Moses raised his hand and struck the rock twice. In frustration. That's not what he was asked to do, he was asked to speak to the rock, and maybe in some ways, uh, Moses was presuming that kind of, well, God did it before when I whacked the rock, I'll just keep doing it like God's like an ATM machine. If I just punch in the numbers, out comes the, the money, the water, whatever. Uh, and, and water gushed out. So, so God still did provide, but Moses' frustration is starting to bleed out. Because you did not trust me, God says to Moses... You did, uh, you did not trust me to demonstrate my holiness in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this assembly into the land I've given you. 
That's what God says to Moses right after that moment. And we go, oh God, that's pretty harsh. He's been pretty patient. But you know what? I think Moses is just a kind of a, a bigger, better version of Israel. But he still has a, has a heart that bleeds, that, that, is, that is broken, that is frustrated. He just restrains it better. I see this in my parenting and my own children. I, I, I am just a bigger version of them. Uh, I, I, can, I can do tantrums better than them, I'm more restrained, but I still have tantrums. I still get frustrated. How am I going to deliver my children, even though I'm stuck in the same kind of heart predicament that they have? How is Moses going to deliver the people with his own broken heart and frustrations? He is, we are called to trust God, but we so often don't. Frustration would dissipate, would it not, if we really believed, if we really believed in our heart of hearts, that whatever happens, God will deliver us, that God will work out His good purposes, even though it might not look like it in the moment. That's the promises we're given in the New Testament. If we really trusted that, I don't think we'd ever be frustrated again. (laughs) Anyone nailed that? And so, as we look at the heart issue, Moses' failure, Israel's failure, our failure, let us look at God's devotion to His people, to us. In verse 31, this is what God says, uh, or as Moses speaking of what God did, And you saw in the wilderness how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all along the way you traveled until you reached this place. I wonder if Footprints in the Sand poem kind of snuck, you know, stole it from here, right? Uh, God carried them. God, God kind of walked alongside them, He discipled them. It's kind of the same, like it's Mother's Day, so let's kind of like pick another illustration. Isaiah 66, as a mother comforts a child so He will comfort you. Or or Jesus says, as He looks to Jerusalem and longs to gather the people as a mother hen gathers its chicks. These are all pictures of God's continued love and grace and comfort as He walks alongside us, even though we distrust Him, even though frustration billows out of our heart. God does discipline the ones He loves. That's what it says in Hebrews 12. He is disciplining His people to create a people that are devoted to Him, as He is devoted to them in His faithfulness. And what I love about Moses, having just spoken about his failings, is that he very easily could have said, well, if I'm not going to go into the Promised Land, then stuff it, I'm going this way. That's what we might do, that's what my children would probably do, but He doesn't. He actually continues to faithfully serve God and His people. He knows that God is good and that even the hard things are part of His loving discipline. He fails forwards, as it were. He fails forwards, He repents even and He continues to serve God and His people. Again, Ed Welch helps me think about here, kind of the love and justice of God. If we look only at the love of God, only at the love of God, 
we kind of see him as kind of quaint, and, and, and we don't really need that all the time. We don't, you know, it's like, sort of, you know, I'll go to my grandmother, she loves me a lot, I'll go next week, I don't need her right now. <laughs> but but if, we, if we look only at the justice of God, we, we can't bear that, and we are terrified by Him. But Moses finds a way to hold in tension the love and the justice of God. As, as, he, as he is grateful for the love and compassion and grace of God, and also knows of His holiness and justice, and continues to obey Him accordingly. What a beautiful insight for us too to walk in that tension. But let's bring this together and and think about what it means for us to move from fear and frustration into freedom. Because that's what God's doing among His people as He does deliver them into the promised land. Sorry to give the punchline away, do you know what I mean? Uh, But we too, how do we move from fear and frustration into freedom? It seems to me that I commit the same kind of sin as Israel, as Moses. You you have in mind kind of what God's promises mean. So when God says, I'll bring you into the land of milk and honey, you're like, sweet, there's going to be like a a, a kind of bed of roses, it's going to be like a golden path, I'm just going to cruise down, that's going to be a walk in the park. And then as soon as things go bad, you're like, oh, God's given up on me, this sucks. (laughs) Right? You have this vision in your mind that you hold God accountable to and then are frustrated accordingly. You can see, well, that's a sin, right? That's a problem. How dare I import my own vision onto God's vision instead of trusting Him? And, and part of that is our relationship with this thing called time. <laughs> oh man, that's frustrating. A three-hour car journey is a frustration with time. A 40-year journey in the wilderness is a frustration with time. Uh, when you want to see a good vision, even a good vision, come to fruition and it's being thwarted and you've got to go the long way, that's a frustration with time. You've got to keep the schedule, you've got to be efficient, you've got to seize the day. All of this stuff just, oh. It's Israel's problem, it's our problem. Uh, my wife and I, or my family and I were talking about COVID, it seems to be a popular conversation again, um, and uh, we were reflecting on, on the time that, you know, we uh, got COVID the first time, and, uh, you know, we were in ISO for a week, we were pretty sick, uh, you know, like, it's okay being in isolation when you actually are sick, uh, you know, just that's part of kind of, you know, what you think is responsible and wise. Uh, it was when Louis turned uh, positive on the rat test, it was completely fine, uh, but for, you know, in that time, uh, in that season, that meant another 10 days in isolation. Uh, We were all better by then, really. And when he got that test, I was so angry. I was like, I cannot do another 10 days of isolation with my family. I love them, but... (laughs) (laughs) Now, it also blew out kind of our moving date, um, and, and, you know, just there were so many kind of things that I just just saw in my mind, all of these things just kind of cascade. I was so upset. Do you know what? As I look back at that, I see God's provision, actually. The schedule we actually had for, for finishing up at Newtown, for going on a very short holiday, doing Christmas, packing in three days and coming to Tungavi was dumb. <laughs> and, and in God's kindness, actually, I think He, he actually helped us be still and know that He is God. I didn't see that. <laughs> I was angry at Him, at kind of everything. But God forced us to do some slow time, to do some business, to be in a better relationship with time, to trust Him. God willing, in the couple of years' time, I would love to see the building project come to fruition. 
that's going to put us in a season of wilderness for a little while. Uh, It's going to mean all kinds of implications. It's going to mean our version of things might actually be frustrated. Our relationship with time and understanding how God is in it. We'll have to be grounded in who God is and His purposes and plans for us. In the midst of pondering these things, I came across this quote by John Swinton. He writes this, God's time is gentle, generous. It moves at the speed of love. Isn't that a a very poetic and profound statement? It moves at the speed of love. Now, John Swinton is a a pastor, a theologian, and has written a number of books, particularly on, uh, uh, on disability. And he has found in people with disabilities a profound insight into the heart of God. For whatever limitations disability perceives to put upon us and others, I say perceived, there is in disability a witness to God's grace, the way He walks alongside us, the way He takes time with us. Israel needed to, we need to, reframe and redeem time and a sight for God's vision. Do you know what? They totally lost sight of the fact that their goal, their life purpose, was to be God's people and for Him to be their God. At what point was that not the case? Even in the wandering of the desert for 40 years, they were living in the presence of God. They had this vision, like things will be better then, but they were actually with God and He was with them. And they just didn't kind of bother to actually appreciate that. It is the same with that, with us. Hebrews speaks of, um, you know, make every effort to enter God's rest. But at the same time, we have entered God's rest, is how that chapter starts, chapter 4. We have entered God's rest. And so for whatever wilderness journey we are on, know that God is with us and that we are His people. And may we move at the speed of love as Jesus walks with us. Let me finish with 2 Timothy. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, of love and of sound judgment. Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, Paul writes, or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, nor as He did for Israel, but according to His own purpose and grace, which He has given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Jesus is the better Moses. He's not just a grown-up version of us that can hold his tantrums back better. He is like us, but also not like us, for he is God among us. Jesus brings in the new covenant, where we are saved by grace, not by works. And Jesus shows us that he has power over sin and that God really is devoted to us. God has shown His devotion to us in His devotion to Jesus. And so, as we keep our eyes on Him, as we follow Him, let us not fear, 
but find freedom and life in Him. Let me pray. Father, Israel's journey is so true of our journey, their frustrations, our frustrations. Forgive us, Father, of the ways that we do not trust, where we easily fear, and cast out the fears of our heart, Lord Jesus, that we might be captivated by You. Help us to reframe our suffering, knowing that You are with us and You are walking with us and You are shaping us even in such times. Help us to even be thankful for every season, knowing You use every moment for Your good and glory. Father, flood our heart with the joy of being saved in Christ. Help us to remain in Him, to be devoted to Him, for You are truly devoted to us. Amen.